Sports and Alpha by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today. Happy Groundhog Day, Tysay. Yeah, happy Groundhog Day. Uh, I heard that the Groundhog didn't see a shadow today, uh, so uh, we're looking like uh, an early spring this year. I don't, wait, what, there used to be like only three Groundhogs in the entire world, right? Aren't there like like 20 now or something? I don't know. The, the one that popped up in my Twitter feed... Uh, he didn't see a shadow, so I'm, I'm hopeful that we're looking at a, a warm spring coming up soon. All right, all right. Well, uh, it's also Super Bowl Sunday today, so that's the uh, main thing in the sports world. But the Canadians do have a game that starts in uh, about three hours from now, so most people listening to this, the game will have probably been over against the Blue Jackets. But as for us, there have been three Habs games since last episode. Two wins, one loss, and uh, since their eight-game losing streak, they are 6-2, and two, which is a 750 points percentage. If they keep that pace up, they should finish with 98 points, which would probably be enough for the playoffs for the optimists that are still floating around. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously they've, they've had a bit of a hot stretch uh, going into the All-Star break and coming out of it as well. But, uh, I mean, you mentioned at this pace, which is pretty unsustainable, I think, with this team, uh, 750. Uh I don't think uh, I think I think it's time to throw in the towel. I've said this for a couple weeks now, but uh, this, I don't think that I think this hot stretch uh, is just that it's only a hot stretch. Uh, I don't think it's gonna it's gonna extend for the whole season. And uh, even if they do keep the space, I mean, ninety eight points. Uh, that that's like what we're looking at in the East. That's probably borderline, uh, maybe a wild card team. And I don't know to keep up this pace. I don't think it's realistic. What do you think? Oh, I would tend to agree with you that it is. Quite unlikely, um, but uh, yeah, that's I guess that uh, that's basically what I think about that. The big halves news from this week was Isperi Kalkaniemi getting sent to the Laval Rocket yesterday for the first time in his career. Uh, we can talk about that a little bit right off the bat, unless you want to talk about the games earlier in the week. Uh no, sure. I I think we can jump right into Kalkaniemi. Uh, and uh, yeah, this was kind of uh, some big news. I mean, uh. He wasn't playing great uh, since he came back from that injury, and uh, and he, I guess his playing time was, was reduced, uh, and so they they sent him down to Laval, and uh, so yeah, what what do you think of this move here? I think it's the right thing to do. If anything, I think it should have happened earlier. Uh, well, I was surprised, like most people were, that he made the team out of camp as an eighteen year old about a year and a half ago, uh, and looking back now, I think even though he was one of the 12 best forwards at the time. Uh, it probably would have been best to either send him back to Europe to continue his development for a year or uh, play him with the Rocket right away, um, considering how it's uh, it's landed now. Most people that I saw said that this was the right thing to do for, for his development because not only did he uh, kind of seem like a step behind since the injury, as you mentioned, the numbers aren't really there either. He only has eight points this year, even with the... Uh, the time you missed, that's not a very good, you know, points per game output. And, uh, yeah, but but uh, fans from other teams that, you know, aren't keeping quite as close tabs on his development, kind of making fun, which I guess is understandable. I suppose I would do the same thing if I were in their situation. 
But uh, we have to remember, Kakanyemi is, is not even 20 yet. He's still younger than Nick Suzuki. And people tend to judge prospects by, by how long they've been in the league or how long they've heard about them rather than their age. So I still expect Yasperi Kakanyemi is going to become a, a very good impact player. And if he does well with the, the Rocket for the rest of the season, which I think is probably the plan to keep him there for the remainder of the season, then uh, I think he's going to be a rock star come uh, next training camp. Yeah, I mean, this kind of asset, you know, he is a blue-chip prospect. Third overall, you really have to protect it and uh, make sure you don't screw it up like uh, they did Galchenyuk. And and I think we kind of saw, like, uh, you know, shades of maybe, uh, you know, like he was, he was struggling in the NHL, and I think it was definitely the right move to send him down there. Uh, down in the AHL, you know, maybe he'll, he'll get some easier opponents, but also increased playing time. Uh, and I think that's important because, you know, as you said, he's never been, this is his first stint in the AHL. Uh, he went straight, yeah. he made a straight out of training camp last year. And so, uh, yeah, I think it'll be good for him. Uh, and like, like you, I was, I was pretty surprised he made it out of camp last year. And so, uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, looking forward to seeing this guy develop, uh, because I think that's probably what's best for him. Uh, I, he, he, he looked like, like, uh, when you got pick a guy third overall, uh, you don't expect him to be just, you know, like a middling forward. Uh, and like just making the NHL right uh, going forward, and so I think you know letting him develop a bit in the NHL, I think is definitely the right move uh, by the organization. Mm-hmm. I, I I feel like the best course of action to take with teenage prospects is that it's usually best not to have them in the NHL unless it's undeniable that they belong there. Like uh, you know someone like well obviously like McDavid is an extreme case, but someone like Andrei Svechnikov, Rasmus Dahlin. Brady could chuck Nick the players taken around him. Well, Nick Suzuki's 20, but but I suppose it's a, kind of the same thing that applies. Uh, yeah, so like those those four players, you wouldn't imagine uh, uh, sending them to the AHL considering how good they were in their rookie years and in their sophomore years now. So someone like Kotkaniemi, where it's debatable, where it's kind of on the edge, and it's almost always the right thing to, to let them develop for a year in a lower level. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to uh, another uh, send down to Laval, uh, another young prospect. We had uh, Kale Fleury. Uh, he was scratched a bunch over the course year. He wasn't getting much playing time, uh, and so I don't think this this one was much of a surprise uh, that he was uh, finally sent down to Laval. Yeah, I was I was surprised by this. I I floated this idea earlier in the season. He was very impressive uh, in the month of October when he was a kind of a surprise to make the team straight out of camp. But they were, weren't playing them. They was, there was a stretch in like November, I think, where they kept scratching him in favor of Christian Follin, and I was kind of yelling to send him down to Laval if they weren't going to play him. And so, yeah, I still I still stand by that. I think that's the the right thing to do. Possibly the right thing to do at the the time as well. Um, yeah. So I think it's kind of the same thing that applies to Kakanyemi applies to Kale Flurry. He's going to be getting uh, bigger minutes with the Rocket. He's going to be able to, you know. I think he might even be like somewhat dominant against that lower competition, especially considering all this NHL experience he he's got over these past few months. Yeah, these young guys you want you want to you want to get them as much playing time as possible. Obviously, it's best if they can hold their own in the NHL. But if they're not getting enough playing time, uh, definitely the first move should be to send them down uh, and get them those minutes because number one, uh, especially on a team that's you know probably not almost definitely not going to make playoffs in the Habs. Uh, your number one priority should be development of your prospects at this point and looking to next year and in the future. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, like, uh, I think a lot of people are now expecting Ryan Paling is 
probably the next one to follow and being sent back to Laval, especially after he was scratched against the Panthers yesterday afternoon. Not sure what the lineup will look like today, but he didn't play yesterday. People are, are saying that he might be, you know, next on the list. I think that, uh, I don't know, that's probably the smart thing to do as well. Probably the same logic applies to all three of those players. Maybe they would call up someone like Jake Evans to finally get a look in the NHL. I've been uh, waiting to, to see him in action for quite a while. And I wonder maybe even if at the end of the season you would send Nick Suzuki to the Rocket too, not necessarily because he needs it, but uh, the Rocket are right on the, they're in the thick of the playoff hunt right now. So I wonder if you just, you know, send Suzuki down to, to bolster the lineup. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, like, even AHL playoff experience uh, is, is valuable. Uh, and, and we saw that with, you know, like, for example, the Marlies. Uh, they had a bunch of players in there uh, that eventually got called up to the Maple Leafs that make up their depths right now. And so, yeah, you want to, like, this kind of experience, it's definitely valuable. Uh, playoffs, whether it's in the AHL or the NHL, you know, it definitely, it's, it's something more than the regular season. And so, yeah, you'd love to see Laval make a run. Uh, and uh, if they do make it to the playoffs, make a little run with a bunch of NHL players, uh, I'd sure as heck uh, be following them more than I do right now, which is basically zero. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, I want to shout out Del Weiss, played his 500th NHL game on Monday night against the Washington Capitals, scored a goal in that game too, in the 4-2 loss. Uh, congratulations to him because he, when he was, you know, Bouncing around the minors with the the Lehigh Valley Phantoms with Philadelphia and uh, Laval Rocket, it was pro- looked a lot like he wouldn't get to 500 games, and uh, earned that call up. Uh, managed to stay in the lineup. You know, we can debate on whether or not that was the right decision, but he did it anyway, and uh, got to a very big milestone. So congratulations to Dale Weiss. Yeah, uh, good for him. And uh, you know, we it seems like he's been around forever. This organization in the NHL, like I mentioned. Uh, a month ago about he was in the all-decade team, my all-decade team. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, definitely good to see him hit that milestone. Uh, you know, it's a sort of grit grinder player, fourth liner. And, uh, you know, it's good to, good to see him get to, to, to those 500 games. Yeah, all right. And, uh, yeah, the next thing is Buffalo. They won 3-1. to one. And uh, personally, my favorite part of the game was Carey Price gunning for the empty net at the end. He didn't quite get enough height on it, so it was picked off at center ice. But, uh Perhaps my theory of a, a few weeks ago that he wouldn't be shooting for empty nets anymore has been proven wrong, and I think it is only a matter of time before Carey Price scores the first goal of his career. Yeah, uh, seems to be inspired by uh, John Gibson on that empty net goal uh, earlier in the season, and uh, so yeah, absolutely go Carey score Gibson, some goals. Pecorine. Or whoops, Pecorine, my bad. And uh, yeah. wait, so so has Carey ever scored a goal? I don't think so, right? Not, not in the NHL. Maybe it's okay, not the, not the NHL. All right, all right. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, again, his first career goal. Uh, I'd be down to see that. I saw, you know, a nice little try there. But, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, it got it got batted down at center ice. Uh, but, yeah, it's something to watch for. Uh, as we said, when the Pecorino goal happened, uh, I absolutely love goalie goals. Uh, and so, yeah, excited to see that. Uh, hopefully that'll happen. And uh, and so, uh, yeah, and then he, he, he came out the next game, uh, got a shutout. I think I think he moved up on some sort of leaderboard for the shutouts uh, all time. Yeah. Uh, no, so no, uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, uh, Carey Price is third all time in Canadian shutouts. Got his 47th shutout against the Panthers yesterday. Just passed Ken Dryden. Uh, so yeah, Carey Price is definitely 
among mm-hmm. the all-time Habs goaltending greats, Ken Dryden, Jacques Plante, you know, all the other ones. Uh, when his career is over, he will definitely get his number retired, surefire Hall of Famer. Uh, the only thing that is obviously separating him from everyone else is the uh, this this championship, Stanley Cup. So definitely some some old timers will be uh, complaining that his career isn't as glorious as them. And I, I guess I suppose they would have a point if Carey Price doesn't win a Stanley Cup. So let's hope he can get one uh, before his his career is out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even right now with his body of work. Uh, especially that one season where he won all those freaking awards. Uh, oh, yeah. Definitely. I think I think uh, he'll make it into get his jersey retired. And and uh, even right now, if he were trying now, he'd probably have a, a semi-decent shot in making the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, and so I think that wraps up for the games of the week. You want to talk about, you know, the, the upcoming uh, trade deadline and what this the implications for the Habs? Yeah, yeah. So it's almost uh, just over three weeks away now, the trade deadline. And uh, everyone's... Pretty much saying it's shaping up to be one of the uh, least entertaining trade deadlines in, well, in years, or uh, for pretty much everyone involved. But uh, the Canadians do have a couple pieces that they'll be trying to sell off, assuming they remain out of the playoff hunt. Uh, mainly the pending UFAs, Ilya Kovalchuk, Nate Thompson, Marco Scandella, who are probably going to be on the block. But one of the, the bigger names that's been floating around quite a bit as of late is Thomas Tatar who is signed one more year after this one. And we might have brought this up on a previous episode when I said I was, in general, opposed to trading Tatar because I want them to be gunning for the playoffs in 2021. And I think Thomas Tatar can be a really big part of that. I mean, he's their, he's their leading goal scorer and point scorer now. So obviously, very important part of the team. But uh, I've kind of I've kind of come around to the idea that maybe it would be a smart thing to do a little bit I'm definitely not on board fully yet but they could get quite a haul for Thomas Tatar right now They're pretty much everything that's been floating around is at least like a first rounder and at least a B prospect maybe an A prospect a lot of the a lot of um, someone I've seen a couple times floated around like a deal with the Penguins like a first rounder and Samuel Poulain who was the Penguins most recent first round pick which uh, is a I've got to admit a, a very tempting package. The only thing that kind of uh, that kind of you know I don't like about the idea of trading Tom Sitar is I don't know if you remember Carey Price did an interview I think last summer that he didn't he didn't say it in like a malicious way he was kind of like saying he doesn't really care about all the draft picks and prospects that Montreal's accumulated because at this point in his career if if they aren't on, on the team in front of him now he really couldn't care less because you know he's uh, I think 32 years old now. Time kind of goes by fast. He might be getting closer to the end of his career than you would think. So he kind of, you know, wants to win now. This is mentality, and that's understandable. But on the other hand, uh, sorry, Kerry, you don't run the team, and we're gonna do what's best for the the present and future of the team. So I can I can definitely see both sides to that. Yeah, I I, I could, but I think at this point, well, like first of all, if you were to trade Tatar away. Uh, I think it'd be have you get you'd have to get blown away because they're the Habs are under no pressure. Uh, trade away basically their leading goal scorer this year, uh, and so you know if 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 you get a really good prospect, uh, a really good package, uh, in terms of picks and prospects, uh, I think you'd you'd have to seriously consider it. Uh, on the other hand, when it comes to you know Carey Price and all that, uh, I I personally don't see uh, I don't see this team right now as it stands as a win now team, uh, and. If it means, you know, gathering 
pick some prospects uh, like they have been for the last little while, I think it's probably the right move. Because if you look at the construction of this team right now as it stands, uh, it's really geared towards uh, the, the future. It's not a win-now team. Uh, and so, you know, next, you know, give it two, three years, and I think that's when, you know, those prospects will start turning into, you know, bona fide players uh, when it comes to guys like, you know, your, your Paling and Takaniemi as they start to enter their prime. Uh, and so, I, personally, it doesn't bother me. if the, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be shocked uh, or outraged if they traded a guy like Tom Sitar uh, or another guy like Jeff Petrie because uh, if you get a, a very good haul out of that, uh, you, you're talking about building a real contender down the line because, you know, when it comes to, comes to the NHL, you don't want to just go for the playoffs, right? You don't want to be like, you don't want a Minnesota always, you know, hovering near the wildcard spots and then crashing out in the first or second round. Uh, you really want to build a contender. And so in order to do that, you really need to, you know, amass those those high blue chip prospects, high value players. Uh, and if that means trading away Tatar, uh, trading away that next year of the contract, uh, I'm absolutely down for it as long as the return is good. You mentioned Jeff Petrie, who's in the, the same contract situation as Tatar. He's got one year after this one. Uh, I say there's basically a 0% chance he gets traded. Uh yeah, there's no way Jeff Petrie's moving. He is. They would be nowhere without him. Well, I mean, they're nowhere right now, but it would be even worse without Jeff Petrie. We saw yesterday a, a career-high four-point night against, uh, well, afternoon against the Panthers. Uh, that's just one example of how important Jeff Petrie is to this team. As a defenseman, he takes such a, a load off of Shea Weber, who at this point in his career kind of needs it. If they trade him away and they don't get a decent replacement for him on the back end, Someone, someone who's at a, a similar level, then uh, I think they're they're basically cooked. I, he's that he's that good. He's that important. And when his contract is up, I think he's the kind of player who could probably who has a type of game that'll probably age well. Who you know relies on uh, vision and uh, things like that. He's not necessarily so reliant on his speed, even though um, he is a very fast player. Uh, so I really hope that they extend him past when his contract ends yeah right and a lot of these this contract situation it centers around you know will this player leave uh when they hit free agency and i think that's that's really the main worry when you're looking at asset management like that i mean if you know jeff petrie's gonna leave uh even ahead of year, a year ahead of time you don't think you can sign that extension i think the right move is probably to sell him off uh because you don't want him to walk uh it, when it, at the end of next season uh and because you know after that year, at that point, you know, you, you're at the same situation had you traded him, but without the, the, the package that you would have gotten. Uh, and so, yeah, it just remains to see. Uh, that's up to, you know, contract negotiations and whatnot. Uh, and if Bergevin thinks he can resign him, I think, yeah, almost definitely, like you said, we'll keep him. But if it comes to a situation where, you know, you don't think so, uh, I think you'll have to seriously consider trading him away. Uh, and so let's move away a bit from these players who have uh, a year wait, wait, left on their before contract. We move up, yeah. Before we move before. off of Petrie. Uh, I think I read something yesterday that he was uh, extremely open to signing in Montreal. He, uh, he he wants to stay here, basically, and he loves it here. So, And uh, I think the thing he mentioned was remember he was with the Oilers before, and he had never made the playoffs until he came to the Canadians. So he said that was one of his you know most fond memories. So all of that uh, signs point to Jeff Petrie being very open to sticking around Montreal. Thomas Tatar is the one, though, that... I wouldn't be surprised if they don't trade. I think he would probably be walking. And maybe not even necessarily because he wants to. Maybe it wouldn't be so smart for the Canadians to 
pony up whatever it would cost five five and a half million dollars i don't know with all the other contracts they're gonna have to sign soon you know suzuki's on an entry-level deal it won't be that much longer before he needs a contract kakanyemi paling too max domi's an rfa at the end of the year they've got a lot to worry about uh coming up around the corner yeah uh and so yeah as you said about the tar i think you're right and uh yeah i didn't know i didn't hear about, about petrie uh if he's open to resign him sure let's 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 do it uh and uh yeah i think that's probably the right move uh, and so I think that's enough about those two. Uh, for moving on to yeah. players with expiring contracts, uh, we have a whole bunch. Uh, a couple of them actually come in uh, in the middle of the season. I think the most prominent among them uh, is uh, new, the newly rejuvenated Ilya Kovalchuk. And so the report yeah. came out last night or yesterday, I think it was Pierre Lebrun, uh, that said uh, that the Habs are looking for a second-round pick at least uh, when it comes to uh, trading away Kovalchuk as a rental. Although they are not uh, opposed to not trading him, to keeping him uh, because they like what he's done for the locker room and they wouldn't be opposed to re-signing him. Uh, and so, yeah, what do you think of this, this little breaking news? Uh, most people said that second rounder seems like quite the hefty price for Ilya Kovalchuk, who's only been back for a few weeks. Uh, I would tend to agree. But on the other hand, when you're a few weeks out from the trade deadline, you want to set the price high. I think that if they trade him, it's going to end up being possibly a third-rounder. I don't think I would want to settle for less than that. Uh, if they could get a second-rounder, that would be fantastic. Uh, from someone they just, you know, signed for free at a league minimum no-risk deal, getting a free second-rounder, of course, sign me up. Um, if they don't trade him, it has to be because they've extended him for one year. Uh, if they don't trade him and then they don't re-sign him in July then it's uh, kind of a failure because obviously there's a market for him at this point. The only thing I could see is kind of like a, it's a very intricate thing that I uh, was thinking of getting into close to the deadline, but I'll mention it now. A few years ago, uh, the Canucks were shopping, uh, I don't remember, I think it was, might have been Alex Edler. No, not Alex, Dan Hamuse, I think it was. Yeah, it was Dan Hamuse. He was a pending UFA and he was one of the named, the name said, oh, the Canucks are definitely going to trade him. They're way out of the playoff race. He's a valuable player. He's on a uh, an expiring contract. And uh, they ended up not trading him because they didn't get an offer that they liked. And then he walked in the summer. He signed with Dallas. And Canucks fans were pretty much up in arms about the whole thing, which on the surface you can kind of understand. But but when you really think about it, if, if Jim Benning caves to an offer that he doesn't like, then... You're, then you're basically telling other teams in the future, yeah, just lowball me at the trade deadline when I have a pending UFA, and eventually I'll I'll settle. So you can kind of see why it's a smart thing to do long term. If if the Canadians don't want to accept just a fourth rounder for Kovalchuk, then then maybe they won't, and maybe they'll hold on to him and see if they can work something out without a sort of a uh, guarantee. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that situation. Did I explain it well? I, I don't know. I, like I understood the. I understand what you're saying, but I don't think that's how it works uh, when it comes to you know like a trade market because uh, the the market I think will dictate based on the player. And so uh, I don't think GMs look at other GMs and say, okay, this guy will cave to my demands if there's other general managers that are going for that player. And I think uh, a guy like Kovalchuk, you'll have a you'll you'll have a decent market for him. Uh, a number of teams could use his services. And so you know like. If if one GM, this, they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna conspire to to lowball a guy. Uh, like you know, the, multiple GMs aren't gonna work uh, with each other. If you have, if you're obviously, if you're one GM, uh, you you can start lowballing the guy. But 
when it comes to a situation where there's multiple teams involved uh, and, and a bunch of GMs are looking to get this player, uh, they all have their own ideas of what's a good price. And I think, you know, if, if, the, if, the, if, if that idea, I think that idea, uh, you know, I think that'll dictate what the trade is and, you know, not the general manager's impression of that general manager. If you understand uh, what I'm saying, I, I don't think I'm explaining it great. Uh, but I, I, I don't I think, okay, I don't think the impression uh, of, I don't know, say like a weak Jim Benning, oh, he caves uh, to low ball offers. I don't think that's actually a thing because general managers aren't looking to, you know, collectively lowball a guy. They're trying to, you know, help their team first and foremost. And so if they think, you know, if one team wants to lowball him with a fourth round pick, for example, and then, you know, another team thinks he's worth a third round pick, they'll offer the third round pick. Uh, and so I think it has to do a lot with the value, the perceived value of the player. Um, and I think, you know, personally, I don't think, you know, the perception of the GM doesn't, you know, really doesn't really affect anything. Uh, obviously, if you think a GM uh, is kind of dumb, you'll you'll call him up and offer him some more trades. But I don't think that, uh, you know, affects the collective value of the players. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, that that's that. Uh, and with Kovalchuk, look, I, I do not want to see him walk. Honestly, I would take, Anything is better than seeing him walk. And if you can't sign him to an extension, uh, I think he wants to. But if you can't get it done before the deadline, I think you have to trade the guy. Uh, even if it means, you know, going below a third round pick. Because uh, letting him walk is definitely the worst case scenario at this point. Because this guy has value right now. Uh, value that you created out of nothing. But if you burn that value, uh, especially with, you know, looking forward with this team uh, geared toward the future, I think that would be a pretty massive mistake, no? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, they've they should be getting a deal done for him, either an extension or a trade. Uh, kind of looking around at what kinds of teams could be interested in his services. Obviously, any team could use a, you know, a middle six offensive winger, especially someone with uh, with experience and the charisma that he has. I wouldn't be surprised to see Boston be making a push to make a trade. I don't remember when the last time Montreal and Boston made a trade was, but I think Kovalchuk would fit in pretty nicely there. Uh, Florida's another option. They've got kind of a, they don't have that much depth on the wings. So a couple options within Montreal's own division that might be interested in Kovalchuk. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I think, as you said, right, any playoff team could really use uh, a guy like Kovalchuk, especially the fact that he'll fit in any team's uh, cap situation, given that he's under league min uh, or he's at league min. And so, uh, yeah, and you name those teams in the division. Personally, I don't know about you, but I, I don't have any qualms uh, trading with these teams, especially now that the Habs are basically eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, and if yeah. and if it means Boston or Florida can give you the best return, if they're the ones that are willing to give a second round pick, uh, absolutely. I say, you know, ship them out, give give it to Boston. I, I have no problems with that. Yep, I agree with you. It's a might be a different story if both teams were in the playoff hunt, but Montreal isn't right now, and Kovalchuk is not good, someone who's going to be sticking around in the long term with teams maybe an extra year but not definitely not the long term so uh they have montreal has two other pending ufas of note who they are quite likely to be shopping uh marco scandela is one nate thompson is the other one if you want to go case by case and talk about one of them specifically first yeah sure let's start with the guy uh who's been here all year uh, nate thompson uh he's right. been very good this year uh we acquired him i think a couple years ago in a trade uh at the deadline Just a year ago actually Oh, a year, year ago, okay, on the Kings, and uh, yeah, he he was all right last year. I think he's I think he's been 
uh, a great presence on the fourth line. He's looked, you know, just the eye test. Uh, he, he looks good out there. He looks fast. And, uh, you know, I think he's been an integral part of that fourth line, uh, which has been pretty good this year. Uh, and so, you know, a guy like Nick Thompson, you could, you know, obviously you won't get something the caliber of Kovalchuk. Uh, but I think you can get, like, you know, a solid pick, maybe fourth round pick, uh, or like a B prospect. Uh, or, what do you think? Yeah, I think, uh, well, fourth fourth round pick might be a, a little bit uh, high hopes there. But uh, if you'll remember last year when they, they gave up nothing to get Nate Thompson, you might remember they acquired Nate Thompson and a fifth round pick, and they just gave up a fourth round pick. So basically, they just moved down about about 20 spots in the draft to acquire this fourth liner, which is a, a fantastic deal not to give up any draft picks. Um, and he's been better this year than he was last year. And I think you, a lot of people might be surprised at the, the amount of teams that would want someone like this. He's uh, obviously a veteran presence, a great fourth liner. I don't think he's been scratched at all this year. I don't think he's missed any games. Uh, he can play center. He can play the wing. He's a, a fantastic penalty killer. So basically, every playoff team in the entire league would have an appetite to have someone like this. So I think maybe you've mentioned fourth-round pick. That could possibly be the starting ask for Montreal. If they can get a fifth-rounder for him, though, I think that's, uh, that's not, a, not too bad either considering what they gave up for him a year ago. Yeah, as I said, and, and it seems that Bergevay, uh has found a little niche of uh, you know getting these low-value players, getting him for basically nothing, whether it comes to signing a guy uh, like Kovalchuk, or trading for a guy for basically, you know, as you said, moving down the draft a couple of spots, 20 spots or so, uh, and getting a guy like Thompson. I think he's done a great job when it comes to that kind of situation. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Nate Thompson, uh, I, don't, I don't think he's part of the, the long-term situation going forward for the Habs. Uh, he's on that expiring contract. He is a fourth liner. And so, yeah, I think you can tr- you try to get as much as you can for him. Uh, and, uh, yeah, fourth-round pick, fifth-round pick, uh, that that's fine by me, and uh, you know, getting an extra draft pick definitely works out. Uh, and I think that so we'll we'll move on to the the last guy. Uh, that you know, in terms of likely names to get traded, uh, midseason acquisition, uh, Marco Scandella. Uh, and so, what, what do you think are you know possible trade prospects for him? Yeah, uh, this one's the the trickiest one to me because they just gave up a fourth rounder to get him. If they trade him for a fourth rounder of a playoff team, then the optics on that aren't great because Montreal's pick is probably going to be about around the tenth pick of the of the round, assuming you know they don't make the playoffs, of course. Uh, and if they make that trade with a playoff team, then basically all they've done for about a month and a half of Marco Scandella on their team is move down a couple spots in the draft, and I don't really see a way that they can get more than a fourth-rounder for this guy. He's a, a decent defenseman on the bottom pair, but I don't think anyone in their right mind would be giving up anything more than a fourth-rounder. Maybe if you could manage to get like a, a fourth and a seventh or a, a fourth and like a, a low-level prospect, then it can kind of, you know, save face for the Canadians. But I don't, I don't see a situation where they trade Scandella and it's any sort of big win. I uh yeah I guess that kind of that's what I think on that maybe they'd consider extending him for a year I don't know I haven't been so blown away by him that I'd I'd be eager to sign up for that but uh yeah we'll see what happens I guess 
Yeah, it was it was a bit of a strange trade when it happened, you know, giving up a fourth for a guy like Scandella. Uh, yeah, kind of questionable. And so, yeah, as you mentioned, I don't think there's any big win coming out of it, uh, long term, big picture, like there is for you know a guy like Kovalchuk, a guy like uh, Thompson. Thompson. And so, yeah, and so just yeah, we'll just see if if Bergevin can work something out. Uh, the trade possibilities that you mentioned are good, uh, but obviously. Uh, you gave up a fourth for a guy already just like a month or two ago. And so the the ceiling for this, uh, the net gain, uh, I don't think it's big. And and if, if at all, you know, if they can't get a trade done and he walks, that's even worse because now you've traded a fourth round for three months of a guy who is on the bottom pair. And so, yeah, we'll just 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 hope Bergevin can find a trade partner because, uh, yeah, as you said, look, this, this guy, I don't know if he's even worth more than, you know, a guy like Nate Thompson on the trade market because. He hasn't. He's been on the bottom player uh, pair. He hasn't been anything spectacular, uh, and so yeah, I'd argue maybe even Nate Thompson's able to get more uh, than than Marco Scandella. And so yeah, we'll just have to see what Bergman can get done. Hopefully, uh, we're looking at a trade where you at least uh, recoup what you gave up to get him. Yeah, um, yeah. Another name that they might be floating around is Nick Cousins. I haven't seen it that much, but he's in a contract year too. He's an RFA at the end of the year. He's making a million dollars, so I think a qualifying offer would be something around like one point fifteen million, which uh, obviously isn't that expensive. But I mean, with they'll have other wingers coming in next year, uh, you know, Cole Caulfield and whatnot. So maybe someone would uh, be interested in taking a flyer on, on Nick Cousins if the Canadians are willing to part ways. I know Claude Julien loves him, and playing him way too much, but uh, but that's another thing I'm going to be keeping an eye on. Yeah, sure. Uh, just you know, there, there's we're gonna see with these future prospects. You know, as you said, there's gonna be less and less space for guys like Nick Cousins. Uh, and so, well, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be. I certainly wouldn't be opposed to, to trading Nick Cousins, but uh, I think I don't think it's likely. As you mentioned, Claude Julien plays him a lot, uh, and so yeah, just I. It's just another possibility. A bunch, and uh, yeah, we can only watch as, and hope that Bergevin gets good returns for all of these players. All right, uh, I think that uh, that wraps it up on the Montreal Canadiens. We'll be talking about the trade deadline quite a bit in the next several episodes as it gets closer and closer. But uh, there was a, a piece of news from around the NHL this week that uh, we kind of saw coming. Zach Cassian extended uh, with the Oilers four years, $3.2 million. And the general consensus was, uh, wow, that's too long and too much money. Uh, Ken Holland is back to... His old habits, uh, someone, I don't remember who it was, might have been Dmitry Filipovic, uh, compared Zach Cassian's stats over the last 82 games to Justin Abdelkader's stats over the 82 games before he signed his big extension with the Red Wings, when Ken Holland was still with the Red Wings. And the stat lines were basically identical. If, uh, if like, exa- like, the same amount of goals and assists, maybe, like, one or two off. So if you need an idea of... Um, how Ken Holland thinks uh, Justin Advocator plays with either like Zetterberg or Datsuk and puts up career best numbers, signs an expensive long term deal. Zach Cassian puts up career best numbers playing with Connor McDavid, uh, signs a, a four year, 3.2 million AAV deal. Uh, yeah, so I think this will is unlikely to turn out anything more than, uh, than just okay. And even that might be a stretch. Yeah, I think just okay. Uh, is absolutely the the tip top ceiling 
that you can get with this contract because I don't know how you could possibly think that's anything near good value uh, for a guy like Zach Cassian. Zach Cassian, the only reason he's been putting up points is because he's been next to the best player in the world, uh, obviously Connor McDavid, uh, and he's been playing with him all year. And so just, I, I don't even, like a guy like Cassian, you can replace him with any guy, any dude off the street, uh, especially when you put him next to McDavid. You put anybody next to McDavid, heck, you, they, you can score like a bunch of goals because just Connor's just that good. Uh, and so, yeah, Zach Cassian uh, is absolutely getting dragged by, carried by McDavid. Uh, nowhere near, th- this contract is nowhere near good. And just, it's, it's tremendously bad. Uh, I can't understate how, I don't know how you could possibly give this guy four years. I don't know how you could possibly give this guy 3.25. And as you said, both of these are, are just way too much. Uh, this, this is not going to age well, especially if you get to a point where you have to put uh, a different line mate with Connor McDavid. You have to move Zach Cassian down. Uh, uh, it'll not look good because you'll, you'll see that he's a $3.25 million player who, you know, borderline fourth line. Because uh, he's, he's barely an NHL player. Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, just uh, It's just I, I, incomprehensible. Uh, Ken Holland, I don't know what he's doing. Uh, and as you said, he has a history of doing this with players, uh, putting them next to superstars, and then overpaying them uh, when it comes to contract negotiations. So, yeah, I don't know how this turns out anywhere but awful uh, going long-term. Yeah, uh, this is the, the kind of thing that really paints well why the Penguins with Crosby and Malkin have been able to have so much success and the Oilers with McDavid and Dreisaitl have had basically none. Uh, when, ex- when Connor Sherry uh, put up great numbers next to Sidney Crosby and he wanted $3 million a year over some sort of term, uh, Jim Rutherford uh, traded him to the Sabres and said, all right, go make money in Buffalo. They've done that several times with several different players. Whereas in Edmonton, they they don't do that. And what this, what a Jim Rutherford would do if he were in Ken Holland's situation, if Zach Cassian wants over $3 million for the next four years, then you say, all right, uh, you can go sign that somewhere else. We'll find some other uh, some other third or fourth line winner making closer to a million dollars, put him with McDavid, and see him have similar production to what you've been able to do. Yeah, it's just we, we, we see the pump and dump from Pittsburgh. It just seems we see the pump and sign. Uh, from Edmonton uh, and Ken Holland. It's just, I, I don't know what this guy's thinking. Uh, I don't know. Is he looking at his past signings? Is he seeing like a guy like Justin Abelkader was an abject failure as a signing? Uh, and that basically he's following the same pattern over and over. He ran Detroit into the ground with all these awful signings. And it seems that he's doing the same with Edmonton. And yeah, it's just sad. I don't, I, I hope to see Connor make his way out of there eventually. Uh, hopefully they'll trade him before. I don't think it's likely, but you know, this team is absolutely miserable. This organization is a train wreck uh, from the management down. Uh, and and yeah, just Ken Holland is another, I can't believe he got this job uh, and he's still running it into the ground like this. Uh, yeah, just Peter Shirelli to Ken Holland, an interesting transition. Uh, and yeah, it's definitely not looking good. And they need the cap space because of all these crappy contracts uh, like your Chris Russell, like your Andre Sakara, who's I think is on LTIR, but still a hefty contract. He's, the, he's a Dallas star uh, now. He's a Dallas star. Oh right. Oh yeah, they traded him. Uh, and so I think they bought anyways, him out. Actually, he's. Oh well, that's even worse. And so uh, just a whole bunch of cap problems for Edmonton coming in the horizon. Uh, and yeah, you hate to see them waste cap like this because yeah, just Zach Cassian. No way this turns out. Uh, as a great contract, as any sort of value. 
uh, at best, we'll say, eh, that's a that's a, that's a mediocre card. It could have been worse. Say, that, that's been. yeah, that's it, and then that's obviously a bad sign. Uh, I think that covers it for Zach Cassian. Uh, unless you want to say something about him uh, on his contract. Uh, well, I think I I think we pretty much covered it. The Oilers actually are on a kind of a hot streak now. They're eight one and two in their last eleven since they called up Kyler Yamamoto, who was a first round pick twenty seventeen. Made the team uh, right out of camp as a teenager, uh, but uh, obviously didn't stick around. Sent to the minors, stayed there a few years to uh to you know bubble up and, and get ready to go. And now he's been absolutely fantastic, playing on the second line with Drysaddle and Nugent Hopkins. He's been great. Uh, looks like honestly maybe one of the possibly already the maybe fourth best forward on the Oilers after you know McDavid, Dreis, and Nugent Hopkins. Uh, so good for good for the Oilers as of late, and obviously they had a quite the game last night against the Flames, eight three win, the Battle of Alberta, including a goalie fight amongst other things. Yeah, and so uh, we've seen this this rivalry bubble up uh, over the last few weeks. We saw in the first game. Uh, Kachuk take a couple of runs at Cassian and now they, they had some beef there, wanted to fight. Uh, Cassian got suspended. Uh, and then the second game, uh, they, I think it, they, 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 they had it so that they had like two Battle of Alberta games in a week, just about. Uh, and so, you know, you saw them go, you saw Kachuk uh, and Cassian get in a fight. You saw Monaghan and Nugent Hopkins in that game also get into a fight. Uh, and then last night, uh, the, the, the third part of this little trilogy here, uh, and it was a blowout, 8-3. to three. Uh, for the Oilers, and uh, near the end of the second period, less than a million left, uh, we saw a, a big scrum, and we had a fight, and then there was a secondary fight, and as you mentioned, uh, this was a goalie fight uh, between Mike Smith and Cam Talbot. Funny enough, they played for the opposite team last year. Uh, we talked about that when that happened, and uh, just, just uh, yeah, they, they both got ejected, right? Because it was, uh, you're not allowed yeah. to have a secondary fight. Uh, and so, yeah, just interesting to see. I have, I don't remember the last time there was a goalie fight. Uh, but yeah, we saw Mike Smith come away with a, with a clean victory there. Yeah, Carey Price and Tim Thomas had a goalie fight back in the day, around 2011, I think. Uh, there have been a couple since then, but obviously not, not, that, uh, not that common. Uh, it, the, the really funny thing with this, David Riddick started the game for the Flames, gave up uh, four goals, and then they put in Cam Talbot. And after the goalie fight, when they both got ejected, uh, Talbot and Mike Smith, David Riddick had to come back in, and Mikhail Koskin. Another th- I think it's uh, pretty rare that all four goalies would play in the same game. Another funny thing, there I don't know when the last time that happened was. And another thing that was pointed out, uh, the Flames and Oilers were both sharing the same emergency goalie. So if something had happened like, oh, I don't know, uh, David Riddick and Mikhail Koskinen, having another goalie fight, secondary goalie fight, and getting ejected, then uh, I have no idea how the NHL would have handled that situation. But I'm sure they were probably both warned, do not, do not do that. Yeah, I was, uh, when that happened, I was looking forward to uh, another, was it was his name Scott Foster uh, from the Chicago game uh, last yeah. year? Uh, and so I have the name pulled up. His name was Colin Cooper. Uh, he was the emergency goalie. Uh, just in case we had a fight or some sort of injury, or you know, one of the one of the goalies had to go, uh, and so yeah, kind of disappointing. It was pretty funny. I saw it pop up on Twitter. Uh, you know, Colin Cooper is on standby for uh, either of these teams, and so just uh, just a funny situation there. Uh, and he nearly uh, got his chance to play in the game, uh, and so yeah, we we never see these emergency goalies. Uh, we we did last year with Scott Foster, but other than that, I don't remember any. And so whenever they make it, uh, whenever they're on standby. 
it's always a it's, it's always a pretty interesting situation to follow. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think last year was Scott Foster. I I don't think it was this situation where like an emergency goalie like is like third string. Both teams have their starter and their backup sitting on the bench, and then they have like an an emergency goalie. Scott Foster was the backup because they had a I don't remember what happened. One of the goalies got injured or something and couldn't play, so they they actually had Scott Foster sitting on the bench, which you do see from time to time. If there's like an injury or morning skate and you don't have time to call up a minor legal, you'll have leaguer. You'll have like the the equipment manager or one of the trainers or something fill in as the backup goalie. So I'm pretty sure that was the kind of thing that happened with Scott Foster. It wasn't exactly like this. Uh, actually, I remember exactly what happened. I think it was called uh, Corey Crawford was supposed to play. He got injured during the warm up skate. I think it was his hand or something. Uh, he had to go out. Uh, I think Colin Dahlia was the goalie. Uh, their backup, and he came in. He got injured on a rush. Uh, he got bowled over. He he came out. I think call and then and then Crawford went back in, and then he couldn't do. He got injured again. Uh, he couldn't stand up. Uh, well, he couldn't stand. Up. He couldn't you know stay in the game. And then and then so they had like two goalie switches before they actually got to Scott Foster. Uh, oh really? Then, oh uh, okay. He, yeah, they they had a couple switches in there. Um, th- he was their third string goalie that night. Uh, it's just that Crawford got injured during the the warm up skate. And so yeah, he took a he had some sort of injury, uh, and so yeah, that's that's what happened. Just a fun story, oh, a little throwback. I just remember, last year. I just remember Colin Jellia getting injured and Scott Foster coming right in. I do I do not remember all those other all those other switches, in there. But uh, good memory. Thank you for for correcting me on that. Uh, anything else about the Battle of Alberta you have to mention? Uh no, uh, I don't think so. And I, I so so we can move to the next uh, probably the next biggest news event. Uh, for the NHL this week, we had a little rumor. I don't remember who reported it, but uh, somebody said Rush Machine that uh, was a Rush Machine. Okay, Rush Machine. Uh, you know they 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 stated or they put out that uh the the Seattle ownership group, the Seattle management, had settled on the name and that the name of the new team would probably be the Seattle Kraken. Uh, and so yeah, that 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 uh that caused a stir. Uh, among the among uh, you know the hockey world, and so uh, what are your takes on this name? Uh, well, first of all, it has not been confirmed by the actual team itself. It's still right now just Seattle NHL. They they even put out a statement like, despite all the rumors, we haven't decided on a name yet. We're still I don't know whatever they said, searching the the seas and the forests and whatnot for for our name. But um, I feel like for Russian Machine Never Breaks to report this as if it were a confirmation is probably a sign that it's, uh, if it hasn't been confirmed yet, it's at the very least the heavy front runner, And maybe Seattle leaked this name to see what the reaction was. Uh, I like it. I, it was probably my second favorite option after Sea Lions. Seattle Sea Lions uh, is probably my favorite, but the Kraken will do. And I feel like... Uh, a reason this is probably a really good choice is because the people who love it really love it, you know? And it's not so often, it's extremely rare you'll see uh, a fan base or anyone be so passionate about the name of the team and loving it that much. So it really seems like they might have they struck gold with Seattle Kraken here. Uh, that's my take on it. Yeah, uh, I think it's a very polarizing name. Uh, I think, as you, as you said, the, the people that like it really like it. Uh, but I think there's a, there's a large collection of fans who don't like uh, the the sort of unorthodox name. Uh, personally, I, I I don't know. I haven't really formulated an opinion on this. It's just it's 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 out there. Uh, I'll say that much about it. 
Uh, I'm not sure if I like the name Kraken. Uh, I think personally, I would have preferred Sockeyes. I know there were some some legal issues associated with the the Seattle Sockeyes brand, uh, but that, that I think that yeah, would have been probably be my top. Yeah, I don't think it is, but uh, I think it's some sort of book series. Uh, that's what I've heard. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's just the the Kraken. Uh, I mean, if that's what what goes out there, props to them for you know really going with a unique name. And I and I think you know I don't I think it's probably best if they go. Like in terms of marketing, you're trying to get, you know, you're trying to put your foot in the door in terms of growing that fan base. Uh, I think, I think uh, a, a very unique and extraordinary name like that. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that's probably a good move. Uh, and uh, you know, even Golden Knights was was kind of a funky name, uh, and we seen Vegas embrace that team and the name. And so, uh, yeah, Kraken, I think it's a good move, marketing PR perspective. Uh, I'm not sure if I personally like it, but uh, yeah, and I think you're right on the test run. I think they are. You know, trying to get the feels out. Uh, what do the people think? Yeah. Uh, also, I'm a, a big fan of names that don't end with S, which are quite ra- quite rare. Uh, Lightning, Wild, Avalanche. There are a couple in uh, other sports too. Uh, Miami Heat, uh, Red Sox, White Sox, even though that's kind of, you know, a plural-ish. Sort that's of thing. cheating. But, uh, that's cheating. Yeah. That, that's kind of, well, technically it still counts. Uh, yeah, yeah. Kraken doing the same thing. I like the sound of it. Uh, I'm pretty sure Kraken is the actual plural of Kraken. Uh, yeah, but we don't need to get into to the semantics of the grammar of it all to to appreciate the name. So at this point, if they come out with a name that isn't the Kraken, I think it would be a, quite a surprise. Yeah, absolutely. And if it's a bad name, if it's something really generic, uh, yeah. I don't think the fan race, I don't think the people who've attached themselves to the Kraken name will be particularly happy at all. Uh, and so, yeah, unless they find some sort of, uh, I don't know, like the Seattle Bigfoot or something other, uh, that's remarkable. I don't think, uh, I don't see them changing the name, especially with, you know, we've seen a bunch of people really, really taken to it. I feel as even the people like, well, the people who love it, obviously, but even the people who don't like it, we're now also fixed on this name, Seattle Kraken. That if it, if it's anything else, even like, a one of the good ones, I feel like everyone's going to have a really hard time shaking Kraken from their head. You know, like, oh, it's the, it's the Seattle, they should have been the Kraken. We all thought they were going to be the Kraken because of how memorable that name is, that they, I don't think they're going to be able to, to shake that identity, even if they pick a different name. Yeah, at this point, uh, yeah, I think, I think this name has made its mark. Uh, everybody was talking about it. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I think, I think the most likely uh, name is the Kraken. And I think, what, is there expansion draft this season or the next season? It's the next season. Oh, right? it's twenty twenty one. Okay, yeah, twenty twenty one. They'll be uh, in the fall of twenty twenty one, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, right. Sorry. They'll, they'll they'll enter the league in the fall of twenty twenty one, right? Twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. So uh, yeah, looking forward to to their expected draft. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that when it comes to and uh, so yeah, mm-hmm. just a little expansion news. We hadn't heard much from uh, they they have been very hush hush, and so it was definitely interesting to see them. Uh, see the reports come out with a name. It's funny because when the, the Golden Knights had their expansion, they came out with their name, uh, I think just about like seven months before the expansion draft. And right now it's well over a year in advance. And uh, it's looking like the Seattle confirmation is approaching. And it, it, it could poss- quite possibly come any day now. So uh, yeah, to have that uh, well in advance, at least further than the Golden Knights did. Just an interesting thing I noticed. That I'd point out. Uh, we can move on to another piece of news that kind of 
flew a little bit under the radar this week. Uh, maybe it's just because it was the Coyotes, and nothing that they do seems to make such big waves, waves except acquiring Taylor Hall. But uh, they're in the middle of uh, some sort of controversy involving junior players. They have been accused of running physical testing on CHL players before the draft combine, which is illegal. And according to Darren Drager, they could face fines of up to $250,000. So this is a very interesting thing. There aren't many details about it. Uh, If you have anything you want to chime in. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even know this was a rule. It seems to be very obscure, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm personally not sure how severe of a, of a thing it is. Uh, obviously we heard the $250,000 possibility of a fine. Uh, but yeah, it's just interesting to see, uh, like, you know, just, just some sort of scandal pop up. Uh, you know, we, we talked about the baseball scandal and uh, now, now we have our own mini hockey scandal. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, I mean, it flew under the radar. I didn't initially catch it. I saw it a couple of days later. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I guess the message is, uh, you know, don't do your physical testing on the combine players. Yeah, I feel like this is the kind of thing, if, they, if it turns out they are guilty, wouldn't it make way more sense to revoke draft picks than to find them? Because they are, they are breaking rules directly linked to the draft and drafting junior players. So I feel like that would just be the most logical thing take away draft picks rather than to find them. Yeah. So, uh, I just, I, I don't know. The, the thing is with this whole thing, uh, I don't know how strict the NHL wants to go because I don't know how serious of an offense this is. Uh, it just seems that, you know, we don't know if the coyotes did this intentionally, how big of an advantage does this give them in terms of drafting? And so, you know, when we're talking about a penalty as severe, uh, and as impactful as taking away draft picks, because we see, you know, we're actually affecting, affecting the team's player personnel. I don't know if the NHL is ready to go uh, and take that step. And that's why I don't think, you know, I, I think it's a very big step up. Uh, and I think it needs to be something really egregious. And is this really egregious? Uh, I personally don't know because I just, I don't know how serious of a rule break this is. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure either. Uh, a lot of people would say that physical testing and, and the combine in general give basically little to no insight on how impactful a player is going to be. So we can argue how consequential this was. But I feel like, you know, that's, that shouldn't really have that much to do with it. Like, you know, the spirit of the whole thing is just wait till the combine. Don't try to give yourselves an unfair advantage. So I'm not saying they should revoke a first-round pick or anything like that. Maybe like maybe a fourth-rounder, you know. I feel like that, that sends the message, like, oh, we're not okay with this. You broke a rule that was very easy to follow. So... That's kind of a, I feel like revoking a draft pick, maybe a later round pick would make more sense. Maybe. I don't know. I, I don't know about revoking it all right, uh, altogether, maybe moving it down to the end of the round, uh, like we saw with the Devils with the Kolachuk signing. Uh, and so, uh, even though that was a first round pick, uh, but uh, just, just you know, I, I, it's just, it's, it's just, I don't know. It just feels like how big of an advantage can you gain from physical testing prior to the combine when you're probably going to get that information anyways at the combine? Uh, it's just, yeah, I don't know if that merits a, a draft pick. Although I do see your argument where, you know, it's related directly to the draft. Maybe we should take away a draft pick. Uh, yeah, it, it's just, yeah, well, I mean, it's just the NHL that's going to have to rule on this. We'll see. I think it's unlikely that it'll be uh, a, a draft pick because I just, I don't think it's that serious. Uh, well, they said it would be yeah. a fine. Yeah, I, I think it will be a fine. And, and uh, you brought up that 250000 
Uh, I think, I mean, that's no small amount of money for sure, even though they were dealing with, you know, multimillionaires in terms of owners. Uh, and, and I think it'll just be a slap on the wrist because frankly, I think, you know, even though I don't know the full extent of this whole thing, uh, I, I think that's probably what it merits, uh, based on initial descriptions. Yeah. All right. So, uh, I should be on the coyote situation there. We'll see how that, how that one develops. Uh, you saw something about, uh, Dustin Bufflin. Uh, I think that he's not going to return this season. What exactly was the, uh, the report you saw? Yeah, so Friedman uh, reported last night, so that basically the the most the, the most likely uh, you know end game for this season for Dustin Bufflin uh, is that he will not play uh, for the Winnipeg Jets. Or uh, and so uh, you know we we've talked about the situation, we've monitored it uh, all season long. Uh, you know with the, with his injury and how the Jets have managed this whole thing, uh, how he didn't want to play and all that. And so yeah, it's just it's unfortunate for the Jets. Uh, because he was so crucial. And we, we always thought, you know, maybe there was that chance that he would come back. Uh, but it just seems to be that uh, that he won't. And so you want to talk about maybe the impact uh, of uh, on the Jets uh, of his absence for the rest of the year. Yeah, well, I don't see much changing at this point, obviously, because, you know, it's not like he was there and now he's not. Uh, they're kind of, they're just barely staying afloat right now with their current defense corps led by Josh Morrissey. Uh, now that they have this confirmation or near confirmation that Buffalo won't be returning, I could see them really making a push to acquire a defenseman, and you know, not someone like not like a middling defenseman like not a Marco Scandella, someone of of impact because the Jets should be in win now mode right now. I can't really think of any particular pending UFA defenseman that uh that would be on the move. Maybe Josh Manson, who's been linked to the, the Leafs a little bit as of late. The Jets would, could be gunning for someone like that, someone who can certifiably play top four minutes and is under contract for the next couple of years. I could see there being a, a fit with the Jets. Yeah, I think the Jets are a very interesting team. As you said, uh, you know they're, they're kind of on the bubble right now, fighting for that last wildcard spot. And uh, frankly, this team has been struggling, especially with the forward court. We talked last week when we were doing awards, you know, Connor Hallibuck, uh, was our pick for the Vezina, and, and rightfully so. He's been having an absolutely lights-out season. Uh, and, and still, you know, we're talking about goaltending have a huge effect. They're getting the best goaltending in the league, practically, and they're still a bubble team. And so you got to think, you know, is this sustainable? And we saw Connor Hellebuck uh, near the end of the All-Star break. He started to dip a bit, and then they proceeded to lose five in a row. Uh, they, they, they finally ended that streak the other night against the Blues, uh, but they, they did lose five in a row. Uh, and, and so, uh, yeah, this team... Uh, they are in win mo- win now mode. Uh, their window is open, but I don't know if I trust this team in terms of, you know, uh, first of all the defense, but also getting the scoring done because you know they they have been getting lights out goaltending and they're still just a bubble team. Yeah, one of the things that uh concerns me a little bit with the Jets and uh, Shevel Day off is that he doesn't have such a such a great track record of being responsible at the trade deadline the past couple of years. Uh, if you remember, I think two years ago, they gave up a first-round pick for, in a trade where they got Paul Stasny from the Blues. Uh, Paul Stasny fitting great with the Jets. They made it to the third round. Uh, then he walked in free agency. That one is fine. That one uh, kind of makes sense. But then they did the same thing the very next year, uh, acquiring Kevin Hayes for a first-round pick. Uh, was not as great of a fit. Uh, they did not make it far in the playoffs at all. He walked. So... Those two moves in a vacuum aren't that bad, but when it starts to become a pattern to give up high draft picks at the trade deadline, 
then I feel like you've kind of you've run into a problem a little bit, like um, kind of on a lesser scale with the, when the Leafs gave up second rounders two years in a row for fourth line centers. At some point, you just need to, you know, be able to fill that internally somehow. Uh, so I don't think they're going to be trading first round picks this year or anything. But if every year after year at the deadline, they're giving up big hauls for immediate, immediate help, then uh, it could definitely start to wear on you down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're talking about the importance of first-round picks for giving them out every year. Uh, that That's going to definitely take a drain on your prospect pool uh, if you don't have a first, for, and they haven't for, for, for a while now. Uh, and so, yeah, you just, like you said, you have to be able to look within uh, at, at some point, uh, even if you are looking at your, your, your Stanley Cup window, you have to, especially those depth rolls and whatnot, you should be able to, and you don't, you shouldn't be, have to, you know, to go ahead and trade that first round pick, especially in consecutive years. Uh, and yeah, it's just shovel day off. He does have that penchant for trading those first round picks. And so uh, I, for the organization, I don't know if that's the right move right now. Maybe it is because they are just on that playoff bubble. Uh, yeah. Do you, do you think they should make a move like that three years in a row trading a first round pick? No. Well, I don't think they should trade a first round pick. Definitely not this year where they where the playoffs are definitely not a, a sure thing. If they want to get someone like Josh Manson with term, maybe give up you know a second rounder prospect, something like that, or maybe even uh, a roster player, then uh, I could see that definitely making sense. I also just pulled up the uh, pending UFA defenseman and a couple that could possibly be good fits in Winnipeg who are not on playoff teams. Mike Green with the Red Wings, pending UFA. I think if he were on uh, a good team for once, then uh, he could definitely be a big help. Uh, Sammy Vatanen also, who we brought up a couple shows ago. Andy Green, both with the Devils. Uh, yeah, so there are definitely there are a couple options out there with the Jets. Ron Hainsey, too, with the Senators, but he's got a quite the hefty cap hit. I'm not sure how close the Jets are to the cap, but uh, there are some options for the Jets, and I'm interested to see uh, what they do, or if they do anything at all. Maybe they'll be standing pat with uh, with the teams that they have. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if they because their window has been open for a while now. I think uh when you got your Blake Wheeler, your Mark Shrifley, they're getting up there in age. Uh I think maybe this window is starting to close a bit and I think uh I think Shovel Dayoff is feeling the pressure. Uh especially since they, they basically went all in uh the last two years, giving up their first. Uh yeah, I think he's definitely under pressure. Uh because yeah, the window's closing. They didn't do well last year. They crashed out. Uh and so I think the pressure's on. I think I personally think they probably, they probably, I don't know, they probably should go for it because, you know, this is their Stanley Cup window, and, you know, with this kind of thing, once it closes, it closes, and so, and, and especially since they've gotten such good goaltending this year, uh, I think, you know, making a run, probably, I don't know about trading your first round pick, but maybe acquiring one of those defensemen that you mentioned, uh, because, you know, this team is, you know, that even though Buffalo hasn't played all year, it still is a big hit compared to last year, and so. And I don't know if they've been totally uh, able to fill that hole that that defense has been pretty civ-like uh, this year. And I think that's one of the reasons why they're so, you know, on the bubble. And so just, yeah, uh, in summary, I think, I think, yeah, go for it. I think they should, I think they should I make see, a trade. I see uh, the Jets uh, window staying open for quite a while, actually, as long as they're able to patch up that defense next year. Uh, Blake Wheeler is uh, getting up there. He's, I think, about 34 now. But Shifley's only 27. And 
or 26 maybe even, and uh, Patrick Laine, Kyle Connor, Josh Morrissey, Connor Hellebuck are all younger than him. So I think the core of this team, uh, besides Blake Wheeler, is uh, Nick Ehlers too, is, uh, I don't know, 23 years old. So I think they're going to be a contender for a while. They just need to you know, maybe fill a couple patches on defense, fill Bufflin's spot, or maybe Bufflin will even be back next year. I don't know. Maybe he'll be back better than ever after taking a, a year of rest. But uh, I don't think the Jets are in any sort of rush to uh, to get a Stanley Cup. Obviously, it would be nice as soon as possible. But if not this year, then, well, next year, is uh, they should be back and as good as ever. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I think I think with the goaltending, it's been a problem with them. I mean, Colin Halbuck didn't have such a great year last year. Uh, I think it just, it remains to see if if he can keep this up. I think he's the, the crux of this team, to be totally honest. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know if I trust him uh, year to year because he has been up and down. Obviously, this has been a very, very up year. Uh, so, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I think there were worries coming into this season when it came to their goaltending uh, and whether that would hold up. And even when that's that's really hit the gold, you know, they've hit a, this guy's playing a Vezina, Vezina-like season here. They're still on the bubble. So I think they have some pretty big holes to address. Uh, and, you know, if they want to make that run, they probably need to fill them on the defense. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what else. Yeah, I think that wrap. So I think that wraps it up on trade talk, NHL talk. Anything you want? Anything else you want to bring up? Uh, well, I think we were, we were going to talk a little about the upcoming Super Bowl today, which uh, is quite possibly finished by the time you're hearing this. But uh, before I do that, just want to give a special shout out to a former Montreal Canadian, Jared Tenorti, uh, first round pick back in 2010, uh, played a lot with the uh, Hamilton Bulldogs at the time, St. John Icecaps. Uh, played with the Montreal Canadiens too. Uh, was part of a trade in 2016, a controversial trade that sent him to the Arizona Coyotes. John Scott was part of the return. You might remember uh, a bit of the kerfuffle around that. He's been hanging around the minors for the past three, four years or so, and was recently called up by the Nashville Predators and finally scored his first NHL goal in his 62nd career NHL game. So uh, snaps all around for Jared Snorty. Good work, good work. Yeah, good for him. I was, uh, yeah, until you told me before we started recording, I had no idea this guy hadn't scored a goal. Uh, I don't know. It just feels like he's been around forever. Uh, so I think it's been 10 years since he's been drafted. And so, uh, yeah, good for him. It just seemed like he was within the organization, the Habs, for, for a very long time uh, until he got traded. And, uh, yeah, good to see a familiar name. Get his first NHL goal, funny enough. And, uh, yeah, congratulations to Jared. Good to see that happen. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get All into right. uh, let's let that wraps it up for our hockey talk. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's Super Bowl Sunday this week, and uh, you know I uh, well, I've talked about how I am a big fan of football, and so uh, I'll, I'll get into that real quick. And so uh, you know we talked about last uh, or two weeks ago. Uh, I talked about how my Titans uh, were in the AFC Championship game. Unfortunately, they did uh, take a pretty big L there. They blew a ten point lead in this in the first half. And so uh, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, are the representative for the AFC, uh, and they're facing off against uh, the San Francisco 49ers, who beat the Packers uh, a couple weeks ago. 
And so, uh, yeah, it's basically the coverage on this game has basically been that uh, these are two very, very evenly matched games. If you look at the betting line, it's, it's been swinging around. It's like about plus one, uh, which in football terms is basically a pick 'em. It's going to be a toss up, basically. Uh, and so these are two explosive teams. Uh, it's going to be an extremely fun game to watch. Uh, and so, yeah, if you've, if you've got the opportunity tonight, uh, definitely tune in. Uh, because I think this will be a very close game. Uh, I think there will be a lot of offense, lots of points, uh, swings and leads. Hopefully there won't be a blowout, and so I'll be watching the whole thing. Uh, and so, yeah, any thoughts uh, from the, the less football-inclined fan in, uh, in yourself? Uh, yeah, I pointed out yesterday that um, most of the time, my big interest in the Super Bowl is that the Patriots are playing and most people around me are hoping that they lose. So there's some, so there's a lot of interest. And uh, for people who are casual football fans, or even that would be generous for me to call myself a casual football fan, uh, who know barely nothing about either one of these teams and their history, I think I can name, I can name you Patrick Mahomes. Don't think I can name you anyone else. So rooting interest, definitely don't have one. Uh, predictions, I could make one if you like, but it wouldn't be... Uh, wouldn't it be supported by facts or anything of that nature. Uh, yeah, I'll be watching it for sure. I am disappointed that uh, up in Canada we aren't getting the American ads this year for whatever reason, which we've had the past couple of years. But uh, yeah, I'll have to catch those on YouTube after the fact. So that's my, my professional analysis on the upcoming Super Bowl today. Okay. Uh, I, I'd encourage you uh, right now on the spot to make a pick, uh, even if you aren't so informed uh, on these teams. Go for it. Make, make, pick a team. All right, um, my predict- I think the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl, mainly because having a number for your team name is pretty stupid. Okay, uh, I'd say that's a pretty accurate analysis uh, of both teams there. Uh, and uh, you know what? I actually tend to agree on that case. I think 49ers uh, is an absolutely lame name. Uh, and uh, okay, so uh, I'll go with my pick. I believe the 49ers will take it solely on the basis that uh, I hate the Chiefs now that they've elim- eliminated my Titans. Uh, very All upsetting. Right. Uh, and so, uh, go 49ers. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just looking forward to this game. Uh, gonna eat a lot of food and it's going to be a great time. I love the Super Bowl. All right. All right. Uh, all right. So, uh, we're going to do a little NHL standings look around, which we didn't do last week. Uh, you, uh, you, you ready? Uh, give me a second. I just need to pull them up real quick. All uh, right. Yeah, no problem. Pull them up. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. I, they are pulled up now. Okay, so uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, just as I have predicted at various points throughout the season, are not only back in a playoff spot, but it looks like they are uh, pretty much uh, a slam dunk to be in it come April, which I certainly saw coming. And uh, they now have the best goal differential in the entire Eastern Conference, and they are breathing down the Bruins' necks top in the division five points back with the game in hand uh riding quite the hot streak uh i am going to stand by i see them finishing first in uh first in the atlantic this year possibly even first in the east yeah they've been uh, absolutely on fire uh earlier in the season we talked about or i i said how you know the bruins that that division point lead looked absolutely insurmountable i thought they were a lock uh however uh as you mentioned five points away a game in hand for tampa Definitely a possibility they finish in first place. Uh, interesting to note that the top three teams, uh, you know, Boston, Tampa, Toronto, 
uh, all on some sort of heater right now. Uh, they've all won three in a row. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I think, and so, uh, yeah, that's interesting to keep up. And hot on their tail, uh, well, hot on the Maple Leafs tail, I should say, is are, are the Panthers, who are two points behind with two games in hand. And so, uh, yeah, that, that, that was a pretty rough loss for them last night. Uh, I think they definitely wanted to win the game against the Habs. Seems shut out by the Habs for nothing. Uh, not a great look. They would have been in. They would have been in a playoff spot had they beat the Habs. Uh, but they didn't. Uh-huh. And so they're 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 trailing uh, the Maple Leafs. And so if we turn our attention uh, over to the Metro, I, I I mean I don't think there's been much turnover uh, in terms of first and second. Uh, we have the, you know the Cats and the Penguins. Uh, they've pretty much cemented themselves playing absolutely outstanding. Uh, this season, and uh, and and uh, so basically, as we've had for most of the season, we have you know five metro teams in a playoff spot, and uh, yeah, it's get it, this metro this metro race for the third and the two wild cards, uh, looking like uh, it's going to go down to the wire. Right now, they're one point apart. Yeah, the Islanders have uh, they haven't been so good as of late. Really, uh, earlier in the year, they had that incredibly long win streak or point streak. I don't remember exactly how long it was, but was quite impressive, and they haven't been uh, quite so good for the last month or so after I praised Barry Trotz last week. Uh, they have been slipping and slipping down from a firm grasp on second in the division to now five points back of the Penguins for second, and uh, they are hanging on to their playoff spot by a thread, only three points away from ninth in the conference. Uh, yeah, so the Islanders are on shaky ground right now. Yeah, and uh, if we're still talking about that wild card race, there. Uh, look, we talked about it before. They've only played one game since, but uh, the Blue Jackets eight one and one in their last ten. They lost their last game, but it was in overtime. And so uh, you know, just just that team is ridiculous. Uh, I don't know how they're still there. Uh, Elvis. Like, yeah, Elvis. Uh, what more is there to say? And so uh, yeah, I think that wraps it up for the Eastern Conference. Uh, moving well, on to the gotta check what? the bottom yeah. first. Oh, Gotta sorry, check the bottom bad. of the Eastern Conference first. Let's see. Red Wings now at a minus 93 goal differential. 28 points in 53 games. Let's whip out my calculator for a second and see what they are on pace for. They are on pace for 43 points right now. Still worse than the 16-17 uh, the Avalanche. That would make them the worst team of the cap era. Uh, I feel like that number is down from last time we checked. It was about 47. So they are getting worse and worse. I think it's uh, quite interesting to see if they're going to be able to check that 40-point barrier in the 40-point watch. Yeah, we're talking that 40-point watch. Uh, I think it's very possible that at this point in the season, the second-last team in the, in, in, the, in the Eastern Conference right now, the New Jersey Devils, it's very possible that right now, as they stand, 51 games into the season, they might have more points than the, Devil, uh, than the Red Wings uh, will at the end of the season because uh, yes, the Devils exactly. have 45 uh, while the, the Red Wings stand at 28, and they are currently on pace to fall short of the Devils' current mark. And so, uh, yeah, the 40-point watch uh, grows stronger with every passing game with this dog shit team. Uh, and so they've lost eight in a row. Uh, and I keep saying it every single week. We talk about this team. If only the Habs could finally freaking figure it out against this team, they'd be so much closer to that 40-point uh, mark uh, in terms of uh, their pace. And so uh, just just wanted to mention that. It's my weekly moaning about losing to the Red Wings. Yeah, that really that really did the minute. Because they would have, if they won those three games, they'd have 61 right now. Uh, they'd be right on the very edge of the playoffs. So, if only, if only, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. All right, so you ready, ready to move on to the West now? 
where St. Louis has uh, gained ground for first in the central, first in the West, actually. Uh, coming off the Stanley Cup, they are not struggling at all from a Stanley Cup hangover. Uh, Colorado and Dallas are, uh, it's looking like it's shaping up like that is going to be a first round matchup. That would be a lot of fun, I think. Just a matter of who gets home ice advantage. Uh, the Pacific is uh, still quite close. Vancouver is first, two points ahead of second now. The Coyotes have fallen off a little bit, are now five points back of first in the second wildcard spot. Oh, yeah. So if we're talking about those two teams in terms of their recent performance, uh, total difference here. They, they mirror each other in terms of uh, the Canucks have won five in a row, it seems, uh, they're out of nowhere. Uh, well, like they've been pretty good all year, but they've hit a heater. Uh, on the other side, the Coyotes, they've lost five in a row, so they're playing like crap. And so uh, bad news all around, it seems. We talked about, obviously, their, their little infraction there in terms of testing. Uh, it seems nothing can go right in the past week or so uh, for this team. Uh, and uh, in, terms of play, in terms of teams that could probably maybe even uh, creep up on them, the ninth place right now in the conference are the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, they have two games in hand right now on the Coyotes, and they're only three points behind. And so uh, obviously those games in hand don't mean much unless you can win them. But if they do... We're talking about the Blackhawks of all freaking teams in the world. The Chicago Blackhawks making it into the playoffs if they can maintain this hot stretch and the Coyotes fall off. You might remember, uh, in I think what was our very first episode, I predicted the Chicago Blackhawks would make the playoffs this year. Uh, I won't bring up that I predicted the St. Louis Blues wouldn't. We can just ignore that. But uh, I think I had the Blackhawks in the playoffs. Uh, so um, if they can do it, then that means I am correct. So. That would not be a surprise for me. Just thought I'd throw that. <laughs> wow, a little, a little rubbing the nose in there. I see. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I don't know how this happened personally. Uh, the, the Blackhawks are supposed to be dog shit. I did not have them in my no, playoffs. I'm like, uh, oh come on, they're terrible. They're terrible. They're, okay. they're just a bunch of scrubs. Okay. Okay, let's look. Their defense was pretty bad, of course. Duncan Keith is a shell of his former self. They've got two pretty good goalies. They've got one of the best wingers in the world, Patrick Kane, and Alex Dabrinkit too. Scored forty goals last year, and uh, they've had they've also battled through a couple injuries. Andrew Shaw's been injured for a, a while. Dylan Strom is out too, I think. So uh, yeah, they and Dominic Kubalik, of course, the one of the might might be a Calder finalist actually with how he's playing now. Uh, so the Blackhawks are definitely not that bad. Do you know who's on their first line right now? You know who's playing first line right wing next to Jonathan Taves? Sorry? Do you know who's on their first line? No, other than Kubelik, next to him. Kubelik and Taves. You know who's that third line? Uh, you know who's the like third Alex that or something? No, it's Drake Kajula. Drake Kajula is their first line winger right now. And, uh, you know, that I think yeah. that supports my uh, the, 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 the Hawks are dog shit theory there. Uh, when Drake Kajula, noted uh, ex-Oiler, is... Uh, is on your first line. Not a good look. Not a good look. And so, uh, yeah, I'm I'm certainly surprised given that forward. Even you, you talk about other forwards. You know, they're they're solid players there. Uh, and, and I point to Drake Kajuler on the first line, and I cringe a little bit. And so, uh, yeah, it's just it's surprising. I guess you well, were imagine- on to this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, imagine if uh, the Coyotes, after acquiring Taylor Hall, it looks like they're trending down. What if they they don't make the playoffs after? Basically going all in more than they ever have, acquiring Taylor Hall, giving up prospects, giving up their first round pick. That'd be uh, quite the failure for that organization, I would say. 
I, I think uh, a not so you know incredible thing that would you know that, that that could possibly pop up if the Coyotes continue to you know go into free fall. I think we have to look at the possibility that the Coyotes you know they trade Hall again uh, before the deadline. No. Uh, I mean, look if if they can get a team to really bite. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I mean, look if obviously a lot has to go wrong for them, but it has over the last bit. And so, you know, I think if they really do fall off that cliff, I think, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of games left to be played before the trade deadline. I think uh, there, there's something to the, to the, you know, there's something to those conversations possibly to be had if the Coyotes, uh, you know, if they keep playing like they have. No? They would have to win, like, one game over the next three weeks for that to make any sort of sense. Assuming they can still hang around the playoff race, they're going to have to stay the course and gun for the playoffs considering that massive trade that they just made. Oh, that would be so terrible for that market after you acquire this star winger who's supposed to draw bigger crowds and then you turn around two months later and trade him away because you're like two points out of the playoffs. I just, I don't see it happening. There's no way. Well, well, that's the thing though, right? Because you, you talk about one game in three weeks. Well, I know there's an all-star break in the middle there, but that's exactly what they've done. Their last win, or no, they've won one game uh, since January 8th. And so, you know, we're talking about a a really awful stretch uh, in terms of their play. And so, you know, look, if it happened once, it might happen again going down the stretch. And so, yeah, I think think that, I mean, obviously they can turn it around, but if it keeps going south like this, it's something to look out for. I'm not saying it's likely. It's definitely very unlikely at this point. But, uh, you know, it's something to keep an eye on. Coyotes, if they really fall off a cliff here, as they have, uh, if they keep falling, I think, uh, I think we have to examine the possibility of a Taylor Hall trade uh, yet again. Wow. I, uh, yeah, sorry. I'm going to give that about a 0% chance of happening. I think it's far more likely that they acquire another, uh, another forward or defenseman to bolster their current lineup because they basically they need to do... Uh, uh, similar to what the, the Blue Jackets did last year, I think, if rather than trade Taylor Hall. They kind of need to double down. After getting Taylor Hall, they got to double down. They got to say, this is the year where we, uh, we want to go on a deep run. And uh, a little slump isn't going to stop that. Yeah. Well, if we're talking about, you know, with respect to the fan base, uh, if they trade Taylor Hall away, I don't know if they'd have any fans left, personally. And so, yeah. while maybe, maybe hockey-wise, it's a possible move, uh, in terms of fans, I, I don't know if that's such a smart move because, uh, yeesh. Uh, and so moving on from that, uh, I, I mean, is there anything else to cover? Uh, the Sharks are total crap. Oh, we didn't mention Thomas Hurdle. Uh, so oh, yeah. he's out for the season. That's a pretty significant loss for them uh, in, in a season of very of a million significant losses. I mean, it just seems that everything that could have possibly gone wrong for this team has gone wrong. They've got that unprotected first in a draft that is going to be extremely talented in the top 10. Uh, it's going to be one. It's going to be probably the best in many years. Uh, just looking ahead. And uh, so, yeah, they, they've been crap all year. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Uh, just, just another thing to pile on to the, the tire fire that's been the shark season. Yep. Uh, certainly doesn't, certainly doesn't help. Not a, uh, it isn't as though they had much playoff hope either though. So Thomas Hurdle, uh, is gonna, you know, have a chance to uh, recuperate fully without the pressure of being back in time for the playoffs or anything. 
So I assume he'll be totally healthy by training camp. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it on the West, uh, except for the, an Oilers-Flames first-round series is uh, quite the distinct possibility at this point, which I think basically everyone would be rooting for to, to see that. I think it's probably been since possibly the late 80s since we've had a battle of Alberta in the playoffs. Yeah, I don't know how many fights we'd have in that series. Uh, it'd probably get really up there in terms of penalty minutes. Uh, maybe multiple goalie fights in a series. Who knows? All right. And so, uh, yeah, so our last little bit here before we wrap it up for the week, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention it. It's definitely the, the probably the biggest story. It is the biggest sports story of the year, uh, and it's absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, the, the breaking news, it was last Sunday where, uh, you know, basketball legend, Lakers legend, Kobe Bryant, uh, he passed away uh, along with his 13-year-old daughter uh, and uh, seven other people uh, who were all making their way to his uh, his Mamba Basketball Academy. And so, yeah, their, their helicopter crashed uh, in right outside L.A., uh, and there were no survivors. And so, uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's it was, it, it was absolutely shocking. Uh, I, I follow basketball to a, a pretty high degree, I would say. And so, you know, to see a guy like this, I mean, Basketball, the sport of basketball really hasn't seen uh, a legend, a superstar of this caliber, like, frankly, die uh, throughout their history. We're talking about, like, you know, Michael Jordan, Jerry West, everybody uh, who's been retired. We haven't seen, uh, like, anywhere near this kind of shocking death. And to see him go uh, at, at such a young age, at 41, uh, and his daughter as well, absolutely tragic. Uh, we've seen the effect this has had on, we've seen his impact. Uh, on the sports world, uh, you know, athletes from all, from hockey, from football, from obviously basketball. Uh, we've seen all sorts of tributes. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just, it, it was shocking news. Uh, he was just in the news the night before he died uh, because LeBron James had passed him on the list for all-time scoring. Uh, and so, you know, his last tweet was congratulating LeBron on passing him. And uh, yeah, it was just just absolutely tragic, shocking uh, and and frankly, out of nowhere, this news. And uh, yeah, personally, I was I was pretty shook because it's just yeah, it's just crazy. You really don't see this kind of you just don't see this kind of thing. And to happen on a helicopter crash, uh, sort of freak accident, it's just it's just crazy. Yeah, you you uh, you put it well. And I think uh, one of the things I can say is from someone who doesn't follow basketball that closely, even though I don't, uh, it's still very easy to see how his impact went beyond just basketball you mentioned how it how much he impacted athletes of all sports around the world i think uh there was like a european soccer player who did some kind of tribute to him i don't remember who so it's really a global cultural impact that he had so yeah obviously a, a very uh very big very sad piece of news and uh we we had to mention it so i think uh that should be it for this episode of fusion Ending off on a little bit of a sad note, but we will be back next week, February 9th, uh, with uh, whatever happens between now and then. We'll be mentioning the Canadians game that starts in just about an hour and a half. Uh, we'll pull up their schedule, see who else they, they've got on tap for this week. If, uh, if you have it in front of you, then... Uh, yeah, okay. So uh, they, they've got... Yeah, 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 sure. So they've got uh, the, the Blue Jackets obviously coming up today. They've got... On Tuesday, they're playing the Devils. Uh and then Thursday, they're playing the Ducks. Saturday, uh, we'll, we'll see the classic rivalry, uh, Habs and Maple Leafs. And so, uh, 
hockey night in Canada Saturday night. Uh, that'll, that'll probably be the marquee matchup of the week for the Habs. And uh, yeah, I'll be certainly, even though the tank is probably on at this point, uh, I am a Maple Leaf hater first and foremost, probably. So I'll be cheering for the Habs uh, to, 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 you know, take a hit on those uh, Maple Leafs playoff chances. Uh, and so yeah, they can go yeah. three and one this week, and then go three and one this week, and keep up that that seven fifty. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Uh, we can yeah. let all yeah. hope die. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I, I guess for the for the for the narrative, we'll keep it alive. And so uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, you know, subscribe on Google Play on on Apple Podcast. Uh, tell your friends uh, if they if they could possibly you know be interested in listening to this. I was interested in going to listen to this. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you next week. This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today.